0: Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we break down Mad Max one minute at a time. I'm Rick.
1: And I'm Julia.
0: And today we're talking about minute 18, which begins with Max's amazed reaction to the V8, and it ends with Commissioner Lavatouche saying goodbye. So, <laughs> we ended yesterday with Max leaning over. And revving up the blower and we get that last shot of the blower. Well, this, we're off the blower and we're back to the main group again. And before we even start going into the content, I counted and there's like almost half a minute of just a solid shot of these three characters having a dialogue. And I feel like this is the first instance in the movie where we've actually had an extended sequence of just people talking without having cuts very quickly between different things.
1: Yes, I agree. I'm kind of thinking back. I think the most that we've gotten before this is when Max and Jesse were sitting and chatting. And even then it was really not that much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think this is the most dialogue, most active dialogue that we've seen so far. Yeah.
0: So Max, amazed at what he's seeing in this new car engine, he turns around and he asks them how they put it together. And I really like Barry's explanation of where the V8 came from because it kind of reminds me of a Johnny Cash song called uh, One Piece at a Time. And it's a narrative country song all about this guy who goes to work at a Cadillac factory. And he says, oh, well, it would be really nice to have a Cadillac. And so every day after work, he sneaks a piece of a Cadillac out in either his (laughs) lunchbox or in like a buddy's van or something like that. And by the time he's got an entire car, he's got, you know, a fender from one decade and a carburetor from another decade. And they talk about how they have to get a, uh, an adapter kit and whatnot to make it start running. But it very much reminded me of this situation. The idea that Barry is going between all of these wrecks and just stealing out the best pieces to use in this, uh, this interceptor here.
1: Yeah, I kind of thought about that at first as well. But then once I really paid attention to the second half of the minute that we'll get into, that was all kind of ruined for me. In the second half of the minute, we learn that the Black on Black is a setup. It's a gift um, to to tempt Max to stay on the Force. Mm -hmm. So this camaraderie of Barry building this car for Max and Goose like bringing him in and showing him this car is kind of sullied for me.
0: I, I still like to imagine that this is something that they're genuinely excited about, though. Because, bought and paid for or not, the fact that Barry was able to cobble together this engine from whatever resources he was provided whether complete incomplete bought or salvaged like this is still nevertheless one of the last of the V8s that he's been able to
1: Right it's still get an working. awesome car. Yeah. No matter how it came to be.
0: Yeah. And and Max is just so flabbergasted by its mere existence and Goose just can't believe that he's so inquisitive about it. Like, Max is trying to get to the bottom of where this thing came from. And Goose is like, come on.
1: <laughs> right. It, it is
0: what it is. <laughs> yeah,
1: Max, like, he starts down the path of figuring out that there's something behind it. And then he just gives up. Yeah. He he, he starts to ask questions and wonder about its origin. And then he's just like, yeah, I want to drive it. I just want to drive it.
0: Yeah. I, I love that, how Goose is like, you're still asking questions. And then Max turns back gives the car one more look and then he just turns around like a kid who has like a brand new bicycle and he's like when can we go for a ride he's just got this all three of them are just so excited about the concept of going out in this brand new car well new to them yes yeah
1: i feel like most things are new to them
0: (laughs) yeah But like you said, then we kind of get a transition where we go from them being really excited about the car and then we go upstairs and we see that that Captain Fifi's on the, the radio listening in, mm-hmm. which is kind of creepy, you know, that you're hanging out in the office and the boss is secretly listening in.
1: I didn't think of it that way because I felt like this was a very specific setup, mm-hmm. like Goose or Barry had to turn the radio on on their end, knowing that somebody was listening on the other end. Like it it felt very set up, Mm -hmm. very purposeful. So I didn't get a creepy vibe of your boss overhearing, you know, purposely eavesdropping on you.
0: Yeah, just because Barry and Goose know what's going on, that doesn't mean that Max knew what was going on. So the fact that he was being secretly, you know, eavesdropped on without his knowledge, you know, it makes me feel a little uneasy because I know I definitely wouldn't want that to happen to me.
1: Oh no, me neither. Okay, real quick before we get into this scene and what's going on. The first time that I watched the movie, without examining it too too deeply, I just watched the movie like a normal person, I thought that Fifi and La Batouche were, were listening in on this conversation in order to catch Max and Goose and Barry doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And they heard the evidence that they needed to hear and the something wrong being building this car that they shouldn't have been building. And that... Fifi and Labatouche caught them and that they were now going to get into trouble. That's what I thought was going on until I, you know, super analyzed it minute by minute and realized, actually listen to what Labatouche said. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely not the case.
0: (laughs) So this is actually our first opportunity of seeing the captain after he was name dropped during the Knight Rider chase. Dispatch mentioned him, you know, Captain McAvee and whatnot, but this is the first time we actually see him. Full face, and he's played by Roger Ward, who actually has done quite a lot, actually. (laughs) He has 76 actor credits on his IMDb page, and that's not including three additional credits that are currently in production.
1: Wow, he's still active.
0: Still active.
1: Nice.
0: So his top four on IMDb, uh, number one is Mad Max in 1979, where he plays Fifi, of course. His number two movie is Quigley Down Under from 1990, where he played a character named Brophy, just kind of like Trophy, but with a B instead of a T. Um, number three, he was in a movie called Long Weekend in 2008, where he played a character named Truckee. And number four, Dragonflies in 1975, where he played a guy named Bob Taylor. So he's, as I said, got an extensive acting credit career his first film he was actually an uncredited appearance in an italian movie uh, directed by franco rossi in 1961 it was an italian language film called nude odyssey oh yeah i I didn't really dig too deep into it because i didn't want to be searching for something called nude odyssey while i was on you know a work computer
1: yeah that was a good idea (laughs)
0: I figure that might raise a few eyebrows if I started looking into that. Plus, I mean, granted, it's a 1961 movie, but I mean, I, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to have to sit down with HR and have that conversation. <laughs> so he actually started getting credited roles in 1968 in a few TV productions. And um, he was in 10 episodes of Homicide.
1: Of course.
0: And he played an unnamed pirate in the pirate movie. <laughs>
1: Um, I don't recall. Is Hom- Homicide is after Mad Max, right?
0: Homicide was before.
1: Was before. So did he have hair in Homicide?
0: You know, I didn't look it up.
1: Because I specifically remember from the behind the scenes documentary that we watched. He wanted to go bald. He wanted to shave his head and just be a bald actor. But he... Was having a hard time making that leap, and then when this part came up, and they asked him to shave his head, he was so on board because it gave him it gave him the push that he needed to just be a bald actor, and that's just the way it was.
0: So one of the top four movies that I looked up. Um was Long Weekend, because it's from 2008. It's, you know, within 10 years. And Long Weekend stars Jim Caviezel, who has oh. worked with Mel Gibson in the past, and uh, it's co-stars Claudia Carvin. But without going too much into the plot, it's essentially a movie all about how everything in Australia can kill you. <laughs> yeah. These two characters, they go camping on a nature reserve where they're not supposed to be, and I think... Jim Caviezel shoots a manatee or something like that. I watched a trailer and I I got bits and pieces of what it actually is supposed to be, but I wouldn't say that I've got a complete grasp on the entire plot just from one trailer. But yeah, it basically boils down to every part of nature is trying to destroy this couple because they're trespassing.
1: (laughs) So, what genre do you think it would fall under?
0: Um, probably, I think it was like a drama horror. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, it's kind of how I picture it. Okay.
0: I imagine that Roger Ward probably played a minor character, one of those you-don't-want-to-go-down-there type of characters. Yeah, I can picture away. him saying that. Yeah. Yeah. Another cool thing, Dragonflies in 1975, it's a kung fu movie where I think it's a Hong Kong police officer goes down to New Zealand to extradite a criminal, but before he can get the criminal back to his home country, like a gang or something kills... The the dude he's trying to arrest, and so he's got to, like, kung fu his way out of that situation. It doesn't star Roger Ward. He only plays a a side character named Bob, but it's kind of a cool idea for a movie. Yeah. So, as I said, we've got Fifi standing by the window with his radio, listening in on the conversation. And he turns off the radio, and he turns to Commissioner Lavatouche, who's sitting to the side. And he says, I think we've got him. And Lavatouche is like, well, hope so. And (laughs) Fifi has to, like, reassure him and say... Yeah, we've got him. And Touche, um starts to talk about this idea that Max wants to quit the force. And I don't know about you, but watching this movie, I never got the idea that Max wanted out.
1: Yeah, this was completely new to me. Yeah. I had no idea that he already had the thought of leaving before the scene further down in the movie. Yeah. I had no clue. like I feel like it's kind of a throwaway detail. And we'll see in the minutes coming up as we continue to to you know, super analyze. We'll see if it comes up again, but i I don't think it does. Yeah,
0: something like this, you would expect it to come up at, not during the opening chase, of course, because they're too busy actually driving and trying mm-hmm. to apprehend the Night Rider, but you would imagine it coming up when he's at home, hanging out with Jesse. Yeah. Talking about an idea, at least, of retiring from the MFP. But yeah, we get nothing from Max. We have to hear from this character who the commissioner disappears after this scene. He doesn't come back. But we have to hear this big character detail from him as, you know, a throwaway line. Because as much weight as the idea of Max leaving the force carries, he just kind of rattles it off. Mm Mm-hmm. He says your top pursuit man wants to quit the road and we have to seduce him with candy. <laughs> it's like, like this is information that would be really nice to have a bit more fleshed out.
1: Yeah, I, I think they missed an opportunity to, to bring this up in a more subtle, natural way when Max was at home talking to Jesse. Mm-hmm. Even just, you know, one question you know, from Jesse saying, you know, have you thought more about it? Or something from Max saying, you know, this is the sort of thing that makes me want to leave. Mm -hmm. A little hint, uh, I think would have been very appropriate in his home scenes. Especially since we spent like a minute and a half with Jesse moping around because he has to leave. Yeah. That would have been a perfect opportunity for her to say something.
0: You know, he could have, you know, pulled a Luke Skywalker and said, you know, one more season, you know, actually, I guess that's more pulling a Uncle Owen, you know, delaying a plan of action for one more season. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Off book. But it, I just wish that we had heard it from Max first. I'm kind of beating a dead horse at this point. Mm -hmm. But anyway, from this angle that we're initially looking at Lavatouche, we can actually see that he's got a few pieces of prop material that seem to stand out. For one thing, it kind of looks like he's holding a broom handle, which...
1: Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I thought it was. Yeah.
0: Which we realize as soon as he stands up that it's not a broom because it's got a little guard on it. I don't know the exact terminology of that little guard piece. But what he's holding is technically called a kendo shinai. It's a weapon used for practice and competition in kendo. It's supposed to represent a Japanese sword. And it's made from like bamboo slats that are kind like of bound, bound together. together? The whole Really? Because it
1: didn't look like that to me.
0: Um, it could also be that he was holding a boken, which is a solid wooden piece. The shinai, the handle looks like a broom handle, but the quote unquote blade portion is pieces of bamboo. bamboo. And the idea is that you can hit something with it and the pieces of bamboo will kind of flex so that it's not quite like the
1: energy out.
0: Yeah. It's not quite like you're hitting someone with a baseball bat.
1: If I remember correctly, that the bamboo one that you said, is it called a shinai? Mm Mm-hmm is what they use to train the actors to fight with lightsabers.
0: That sounds right.
1: Yeah. yeah. I remember seeing... And the, the, the sound sounds very distinctive mm-hmm. of them hitting each other.
0: Yeah. We don't actually get to see what the prop looks like below the guard because, because of how he's holding it. Mm-hmm. I tried to kind of peek around him as the scene was going on, and it was he was never holding it as a good enough angle for me to really see what he was uh, carrying there. Oh, Okay. But as far as what he's wearing, the uh, chest piece that he's wearing underneath his suit jacket, but over his shirt and tie, that's a traditional piece of the Kendo armor called the Do, uh, D-O. It had a bit of a signifier over the letter, so it's probably pronounced differently than just straight up Do, but I was reading it, and sometimes when you read things, you don't get the exact pronunciations. But Lavatouche gets up, starts to leave, and... Actually, hold on. Does he actually get up and start to leave at that point?
1: He gets, well, he gets up right after, like, as before he says, your top man wants to leave. That's, he gets up before that and starts to walk away. Stops in the doorway.
0: Yeah. So Fifi stops him in the doorway by saying that people don't believe in heroes anymore. And I think that's definitely, that's definitely, I guess, Fifi's thesis for the movie It's his goal in life to restore the idea of heroes in this crumbling society. Mm -hmm. So Labatouche is far more cynical uh, than Fifi. He sees this crusade as more of a waste of money. And he actually straight up says that Fifi's not going to be able to use this idea of restoring people's faith in heroes as an excuse to spend more money. So Commissioner Labatouche is clearly a guy holding the purse strings. And like you said before, we get the sense that it wasn't so much, you know, this is a passion project that Barry was working on behind the scenes. It's a very clear and deliberate project that he was assigned and then supplied for using money out of the commissioner's pocketbook, so to speak.
1: I, Commissioner Labatouche, he, I don't know, he just rubs me the wrong way. It's, you know, the obvious cynicism that he's unwilling to spend money on Fifi's passion project of keeping Max around. I also don't like the idea, and I think this applies to modern society as well, I don't I don't love the idea that somebody who is out of touch with the needs of his department having control of all the money. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that there's a way that you can look at it to spin that in a positive way. That somebody maybe who has stepped back from the problems able to have a different perspective, can, you know, dole out the funds. But I don't think it should have taken Max wanting to leave for him to get a better position. It's like deserving a promotion at work and you don't get it and you don't get it, but you deserve it. So you decide to leave and then all of a sudden you get the promotion.
0: We have seen that.
1: (laughs) I, I feel like that is a classic example that people face all the time is that they don't get what they deserve until they threaten to leave.
0: Right. I feel like we don't get a lot of information about Lavatouche because he is only in this one scene. But he definitely strikes me as just a bureaucrat, just a pencil pusher, mm-hmm. book balancer. And I find it interesting that they added an aspect of his character where he dresses in this protective gear. Like as he's walking out, he has a kendo helmet and it's called the men. So the men, you wear the men on the... Face you wear the the dough on the torso, and then you have your your shinai to protect yourself. And it's almost like he walks around with these things because he knows that it's a rough and tumble world out there.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to draw meaning from the fact that he that he has this hobby, I guess, because this is the only scene we see him in. Correct? Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to find meaning in the fact that they went out of their way. That George Miller went out of his way to include this detail about Labatouche's personality. So I'm just trying to think about <sighs> discipline, protection, practice. Well, Just trying to think about the qualities that you ascribe to somebody who... Is it? Is it called fencing or is it called... Well,
0: it's, it's called kendo. Kendo. It's pretty much... Far East fencing okay there are different forms different ways that you hold the the tools but essentially it's. yeah it's it's Far East fencing
1: okay and I'm just I don't know I'm not getting anything hmm. I'm not getting any connection or reason why they would include that detail in his minute and a half if that much on on screen. Yeah. For like 30 it's, seconds.
0: Yeah, it's not even a full minute. Yeah. Because he comes in... It's
1: like half of this minute and then like a third of the next minute.
0: He comes in at second 34. He lasts all the way to the end of the minute. And then he's only in one second of the next minute. So right. he's not even in for a full 30 seconds of the movie. Yep. And half of that time, roughly is reverse shots and reaction shots of Fifi. Mhm. So, it's it's a very minor part. I mean, major enough for him to actually have a character it's with it. a name, which is more than we can say for other people that spend way longer on screen. Yes. <laughs> but
1: it occurs to me that perhaps the detail of the kendo was brought in by the actor himself.
0: Just as like a an idea to flesh him yeah, to flesh like, himself out.
1: You know, I only get 30 seconds of screen time. But I, you know, I have this character and he has a personality and I want to show that personality and this is how I'd like to do it. And George Miller was like, okay, as long as it doesn't cost me any money. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it was a character decision by by the actor.
0: I like that idea (laughs) because it means that George Miller didn't have to run out and buy pieces of a kendo suit.
1: (laughs) I can imagine that. Stuff's not cheap.
0: Right. I I would like to imagine that the actor, Jonathan Hardy, went out and just had all this stuff in his car. Yeah. You know, like he might have been... He knew he had to take a shoot that day, but he also knew that he had to do kendo later in the morning. It's like...
1: Yeah. Who knows?
0: I'm going to talk more about the actor, Jonathan Hardy, next minute. But I just... (laughs) Just the idea, hey, George, I got all this stuff in the back of my car.
1: Oh, sure, throw it
0: on, whatever. I
1: don't know, that makes more sense to me than George Miller making the decision to have him wearing kendo gear, which doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah.
0: Going back real quick to the idea of Max wanting to leave the Force, I know that they had an extremely tight shooting schedule, and they wrote so much into the original script because they didn't have time to do reshoots, but do you think they might have cut out a scene earlier in the movie where Max actually discussed the idea of leaving the MFP. Probably not to the point where they shot it, but it probably fell on the cutting room floor as they were polishing up the script.
1: I don't know. I would like to think that if if scenes needed to go, if they didn't fit or it was turning out to be too long for whatever reason that you cut scenes, I would like to think that that if 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 it had been mentioned prior to this moment that Max wanted to leave, that it would not have been cut. I feel like it really should have been mentioned before, and I feel like it diminishes the storyline a little bit, that we're hearing it for the first time from this one-off character that we don't even like. Mm -hmm. We don't see him again. We don't like him.
0: I feel like there should have been, rather, there are plenty of opportunities in the minutes before this for Max To add a line of dialogue to what he said and describe the the idea that he's having to retire. Something during the chase. He could have gotten on the radio, you know, Goose, how you doing? Fine, nothing a week in the tropics, won't handle. Oh, tropics sounds nice. I gotta get away. Something like that. Or, like you said before, when he was talking to Jesse in the morning, the idea of, like, well, now I'm repeating myself you know, maybe just another six months or another three months and then I'm walking away type of thing. There are so many opportunities and so many missed opportunities more than anything to add this element to his character earlier so that we would have an understanding that it's not just Fifi and Lavatouche who think he's trying to retire or leave, but we would get the sense that indeed he has that idea in and of himself.
1: Yeah, I think that... Our first knowledge of this coming from somebody else diminishes Max's ability to think and act for himself, Mm. to take control over his career. Mm. That we're not hearing it from him, we're hearing it secondhand. Yeah. And considering that his career is so intense and dangerous... He needs to have control over his career. He needs to be able to say, I'm done. And that was taken away from him in more than one sense. Like they bribed him to stay and it worked. And it bothers me switching tracks just a little bit. It bothers me that Barry and Goose were in on it.
0: Because Goose is his best friend.
1: Right. And we very much get that sense. Their are camaraderie and, and, you know, they're just, they're good buddies. And...
0: I think their stake they, in it...
1: They just conspired against him. And, I think their stake in know. it is that
0: they want to keep him around. Yes. Because they're work buddies. Right. You know.
1: But what was... Why why the ruse? Why couldn't Fifi just say, hey, you're promoted. Here's a new car. Now you're a pursuit special instead of an interceptor. You know? I Yeah. Why the ruse?
0: Yeah. Weird.
1: Mm -hmm. I feel like actually the ruse might have been necessary because of personality traits about Max that we don't know. Maybe he needed to be, maybe, maybe it needed to be more subtle and more gentle than here's a promotion and a new car. Maybe if he had been handed a promotion and a new car, it wouldn't have worked. Maybe it needed to be more subtle than that. Mm. But this all comes out of the blue. We don't know anything.
0: Yeah, so something to think about.
1: Yeah, I think it'll be interesting when we get Pretty many, far many, yeah, many minutes to a scene where we do learn that Max wants to leave the force. and he's discussing it with Fifi. That, if I remember correctly, Fifi does try and say whatever to get him to stay. It doesn't work.
0: Right. Yeah. And even then, I mean, he doesn't get to walk away scot free. There's a what's the word I'm looking for? There's a caveat on him going on vacation for a while, mm-hmm. which we'll dive into once we get to it. Yes. Like I said, further on down the road. Yep. In the meantime, our website is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Mad Max Minute and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Mad Max Minute.
1: Thank you for joining us for Mad Max Minute number 18. We will see you tomorrow. Motorbikes and leather men Take me to the end of the dream Hold on tight, you know it sure feels right. Victor. We'll